What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining us for another podcast. I'm here with Elliot, and uh, we'd like to give a big thanks to our partners um, for partnering with us on the Duck Gun Podcast. Um, First off, big thanks to Bosch Shot Shells. Um, I've been loving the 20-gauge 4s for ducks and geese and been rolling with the 2 and 3 quarter um, 5s for the 12-gauge out of the over-under. Hopefully, be shooting them out of the 12-gauge A5 here as well. But American-made, high-density patterns and high-quality materials going into the shells make for a great waterfowl load. Um, Copper-coated as well with the business bismuth um they are cutting edge in the industry of duck hunting another partner i want to talk to you guys about is htr innovations and they have a great selection of american made waterfowl equipment they've got an a-frame a layout pad a gun stand and what's called a quack pack which is a layout pad and a um, duck decoy bag made into one so you can hike in a long ways with your decoys and then have a little layout blind right there for you to help you cover up with. Um, So make sure that you go check out HTR Innovations. Um, You can use a product code DUCKGUN, that's capital D-U-C-K space, capital G-U-N for 10% off and free shipping. Awesome. Also, big thanks to Gunner Kennels American-made, double roto-molded, um, five-star crash test-rated. I know we've got some other companies that have came out with dog kennels this year, um, not to name any names, but um, you know, Gunner Kennels, only one with the double wall roto-molded, um, gives you the really good safety and stability, you know, somewhere to put man's best friend. You can go on there and see some of the stories of crash um, survival of dogs that have been using their crate. So I know with Chief going on these trips, it gives me peace of mind uh, to be using that, and I'm super glad to have those guys on as a partner. Uh, you can use code DuckGun Space Ten for ten percent off um, for your next purchase at Gunner Kennels. There's a book I want to tell you guys about, written by Brent Birch, who is a historian of Arkansas waterfowl hunting it's called the grand prairie and perhaps no other place on the planet is as steeped in duck hunting tradition as the grand prairie region of arkansas to the people there duck hunting is a way of life not just a season from the first rice crop grown in 1904 to the famed green timber the book contains over 340 pages dealing detailing the people places and events that earned the region the title of the duck hunting capital of the world Spectacular photography accompanies engaging content written to educate readers on how the Grand Prairie came to be and has sustained the reputation for world-class mallard duck hunting. A must-have for the duck camp, the office, or for your off-season duck hunting fix. Fans of freelance duck hunting and Fellowship of the Duck Guns can get a free shipping by using the code FDHFDG19 at checkout for the rest of the month. Awesome. Um, also, would like to give a big thanks out to our partners over at Motion Ducks. And um, we actually had been on the podcast here in the last month um, and talking about the Motion um, decoy spreader system they have. Um, you can get the single the, the single one that holds four or the ultimate spreader that holds seven. They also have op- options for ducks or geese spreaders. Um, but there's nothing you can do. Um, it's up there at the top for what you can do to increase your odds on getting more ducks with, uh, you know, having motion in your spread. It's super important, especially the later you get in the year with, um, 
the birds becoming more weary. So uh, it's definitely something that me and Elliot are going to be utilizing a lot this season. Um, it's highly mobile. It sets up in seconds. Um, if you haven't yet, make sure to check out Elliot's video on it showing the motion. It's kind of something that's hard to just describe. If you can look at the video, man, you're going to be, be sold on it because it's so lifelike um, and such a, a, a very good tool to have. Um, for your decoy spread so make sure you check out motion duck decoy spreaders 10 percent off with the code duck gun all one word um, for free shipping 10 percent off and a free anchor bag and just i just want to mention on the anchor bag it doesn't show up in the cart but it is sent along when you use that code guys this summer jordan and i were contacted by phil conkey from banded you may be aware of him he's a fantastic waterfowl photographer and they were hoping to partner with us and and it's not just banded it's banded avery ghd they're kind of uh, under the same umbrella um company if you go to banded.com you can see their gear avery gear and the ghg um waterfowl decoys and i can tell you this gear jordan and i have gotten our hands on some of this and it is a huge upgrade if you're looking for jackets coats um, all sorts of hunting supplies you want to upgrade step up your game um, with your gear go to banner.com and check out what they've got over there i am absolutely in love with some of their bags and jackets in fact i'm going to be doing um, some review videos on these products in the months to come so it's certainly if you're in the market for new gear that is a place that you're going to want to go for new gear Alrighty, folks and last but not least most importantly, we want to give a big thanks to all you guys, the listeners, supporting us um, week in and week out, showing up to the podcast, the live streams, the um, Fellowship of the Duck Gun. You guys are really the backbone of our community, um, and you guys know who you guys are. And big thanks to you, um, each and every one of you guys. Couldn't do it um, and have this thriving community and podcast without the awesome listeners. So big shout out to you guys. Um, but yeah, I think that's all we got for now. So let's jump into uh, this week's podcast. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take it. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. If, you get, if I give you like, okay, who do you think is the most common poster like on Duck Gun, um, uh, Fellowship with the Duck Gun, like one name that pops in your mind, who would it be? Uh, uh, Jordan Fromer. <laughs> other, than, <laughs> other than your pathetic self. <laughs> it's probably not even me, to be honest. Um, Man, there's a couple for sure that... Would definitely be up there. I'm posting this to the fellowship real quick. Can you think of so, any names? Scott Hill comes up to my my mind. Yeah, yeah, and I'm worse with the last names. I could tell you like the first names, but if I he if always I has the best comments. There, He's always I love it when you see people consistently making comments and and um, kind of feel like you're starting to know them, cyberly know them. Like, yeah, that guy's my cyber friend. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I definitely agree with that. Um, now we definitely have a lot of regulars. I don't want to miss anybody. We got Polk Pattern is on there a lot. Yeah. Uh, Dennis is on there a lot. Alex is on there a lot. Um, obviously, Matt Lee's on there a lot too. 
one of our buddies from the Fellowship of the Duck Gun. Yeah. Um, he gave me a little schooling today. I still don't buy that, though. I'm, I, I was gracious in my schooling of wisdom from him, but I don't care <laughs> if it's in the dictionary or not. Because uh, I, I just don't care. Uh, you cannot call a pintail a gray duck. Because if you, if you apply the word gray duck to a group of ducks, it's a, it becomes a demeaning phrase. And I'm not willing to use it in that context. I don't know. Those are just another. Those are just gray ducks. <laughs> the gadwall is literally gray. No, I, I guarantee you. I guarantee you that that's the way it's used. A, a good portion of the time, it's just a gray duck. <clears throat> I mean, look how beautiful a pintail drake is. How can you just call? How can you call that a gray duck? When a gadwall is literally gray. <clears throat> I think it's they're talking about the hens and uh, before plumage and all that. Mm. Mm. Yeah. He pulled it out of the dictionary. I could not find that definition in, the, in a dictionary. I know, I know I mean, his link, yeah, but I mean, on my own, I couldn't find it. <laughs> well, he didn't like create a link. He wasn't gonna. I know, I know, <laughs> but I, I know he didn't. But it got me thinking. I was like, that would be a great app where you can just like put in what you want to be true and hit a button, and it sends a link to someone. It looks like it's in a dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> that would be idea. awesome. It has to already be done. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I was like, well, I wonder if that would be possible. Because you just you want to be right, you know. You start thinking of reasons of why you could possibly be right, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, another guy, uh, Chris. He he's on there a lot, so posts a lot of content too. So, <clears throat> but kind of to segue into our topic for tonight. Um, we are going to do, I guess, uh, Q and a, what do you want to call it? Yep. Are we, should we, are we going to explain that, um, before the podcast starts or after? You should probably, I guess we should start the podcast. Yeah, I right? think we should start I forgot it. about the intro. Man, yeah. it just felt like we we're already going. We we're already on a uh, rule. So just... here I'll go. I'll go, uh, do the intro. What's going on folks. I'm Jordan from debt gun Chronicles. Got my co-host gray, the grayest beard you've ever seen reporting for duty. <laughs> And uh, we are here for another podcast. How are you doing tonight, Elliot? I'm doing awesome. I'm really, uh, I got a lot more sleep last night. I'm in a good mood. I'm excited about this topic and what we're doing. I'm pumped, man. I'm ready to roll. Yeah, no, this is actually a really, really fun topic. I don't know why. It just, it is. Um, and we kind of, we gone through the questions and uh, we'll give you guys a little prefix or a little background on what we're doing. So we went ahead and posted in the Fellowship of the Duck Gun just about an hour ago, a couple hours ago, um, asking you guys for questions for tonight. Um, and we are going to do the live Q&A. Well, it's not live for the the, um, <laughs> the podcast listeners, but we're going to do Q&A and we're going to pick those questions um, that we got. We're going to put them in a hat and draw the name or draw the questions. And we actually got so many questions that uh, we're gonna have a hard time finishing all of them. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna try to do our best to be straight to the point and kind of be quick on these topics. But we definitely want to hit up as many of your questions as possible, um, and not you know miss any of the details at the same time. So uh, thoughts on that, Elliot? Um, I'll tell you what, we did the same kind of thing last year and got like five or six questions. And this year you put it on just in the last couple hours and it blew up like 40. So if you guys want to really get interactively involved, um, with the podcast listeners, with Jordan and I come on over to Facebook fellowship of the duck guns. And while we're talking about social media on YouTube, freelance duckings, my channel, uh, duck gun chronicle is Jordan's channel though. We've got nine. I think Jordan's got 11 videos out. I've got nine. We talk about these hunts. Head on over there. Give us a sub. 
check out the hunts we're talking about and uh, join us over there as well. And we haven't talked a while that Titus over at Mid Valley Mercenaries, the MBM show, that's an awesome podcast, kind of our uh, little baby boy brother podcast. And uh, check that out. <laughs> awesome. Uh, definitely can agree with all that. And I'll say one thing that's definitely cool is I'm getting more and more comments with people saying how cool it is to be like, hey, uh, we interact with you on the podcast, we see you in the Fellowship of Duck Gun, and then we see the videos too. So it's like kind of like the full experience from hearing about the hunts, us talking about them, hearing about us planning them on the podcast, and then seeing the finished product. Um, and, I mean, we're putting these videos out just days after the hunts happen. So it's kind of like... I mean, you really can follow along with the journey live and there's a ton of people really appreciating how, how kind of cool and unique that is. And I definitely can agree with that, you know, um, just seeing all my buddies from the flywood collective as well. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't think I, I, maybe someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's anything else like it going on on the internet where you've got the podcast and talking about the hunts and then seeing the hunts and then interacting with Facebook, this triangulation, um, it's pretty unique, so make sure that you guys are taking full access of it because it's it's um, watching the progression of the whole season is a pretty cool deal. Yep. Uh, so jumping back to the topic for tonight um, with the podcast question. So yeah, we dropped them in there. We got a ton, and we're gonna be brief and, and jump right into it. So let's you know let's go ahead and jump on into these, Elliot. What do you think? All right. Here we go, spinning the wheel. We got these put into this, all these put into a wheel, and we're going to spin them and see what comes up. Number one, looks like it has mine. Oh, we just got past it. Scouting tips for workers, like full-time, 40-hour-a-week workers. Um, you know, what is some advice on scouting and how to kind of handle that? Is this one me or you? I didn't know. If, uh, oh, go ahead. Why don't you take it? Go ahead and start with it. Sure, yeah. So, honestly... Um, the best thing is if you can just come in a little late to work, I know that's not a thing for a lot of people. Most people have to come in, you know, seven thirty or eight o'clock sharp. Um, but you know, just do your best to scout when you can, um, whether it's, um, Sunday morning or, uh, in the evenings. And one thing I know when I, when I worked a, a 40 hour, hour week, um, I would drive, different routes to work all the time trying to um come across birds and all that so it's just i mean you just have to do your best to scout and sometimes you're just gonna have to suck it up and do a hunt scout um and try to take that information as you as you can and just do your best with it there is real there really is no substitute to just pure scouting i feel like if you can scout in the morning um you know from 30 minutes before sunrise to an hour after that um you're going to have your best hunts, but that's just not f possible for everybody. So you just kind of have to do your best with the cards that are dealt to you. Yeah, and I would, I would say this, the, the harsh reality of it for, for those of us that work 40 hours a week is you may not be able to scout during season. So my plan, now my, right now I've got my dad who does a lot of scouting for us. He's retired, but when he was still working, most weekends we were just cold hunting areas. And so our scouting actually took place before season. You have to learn an area inside and out, learn where the habitat is, learn which marshes get hunted by most hunters. Because what will happen is, is on typical complexes, you'll get a couple pools that have all the food and, and also all the hunting pressure. So the ducks will feed there at night. And if you can kind of figure out where they're going from there to the to loaf, you've got them. So knowing your area inside and out and after a few years, 
you can be successful without scouting if you just kind of start learning an area and learning what the ducks like to do on it. They will typically do the same thing year after year after year, depending on um, food source. All right, you ready to another one? <clears throat> yep, spin the wheel. All right, that last one, it almost missed. It had my name at the beginning of it. I don't know what it was. It was like Elliot. It was probably going to be one ragging <laughs> on me. Oh, came up right away. Church and hunting Sunday church versus wild. Jordan, would you, can you read that that comment on um, Facebook? I think it was pretty in depth. <clears throat> um, if I had it up, <laughs> I could. I thought you were going to have it up. Okay, you want me? To, I can summarize it. So the the main question was um, the, the guy that asked it is is he's a believer in Jesus Christ and church is really important to him, but at the same time he actually feels closer to God in the duck blind. And he has moments out hunting that he feels closer than to church. So he skips church sometimes to go duck hunting. He gets these questions from people why he's skipping church to go do duck hunting. And he's trying to explain it to them. Um, so here, here's my best take on it. I would absolutely agree that I have had closer times emotionally in the duck blind than I have um, at church. Because it even says in the Bible that God shows himself through creation. So when you're out there and you're seeing all these organisms and all the wildlife, it's very difficult to deny God. Some people still do, but it's very difficult because it becomes so apparent. And it's just in your face. So you can definitely have a strong connection through nature to our creator. Um, And so personally, I don't think you're off base at all. I don't know um, who submitted this question, but I don't think you're off base at all. And the fact is, is that um, going to church does not make you saved. Um, it's your relationship with Jesus Christ. That being said, um, it is very important to be a foundational part of a church. That is important. But, um, you know, taking off to go duck hunting sometimes during church, you got the green light from me. And I would just explain it to those people um, the way you explain it. Say, you know what? I don't, the church is not what saves me. It's Jesus Christ. And I go there a lot. But some days I want to be with him out in nature. That's about as quick a summary as I have on that. Awesome. I uh, definitely agree with that. All right. Let's go to the next one. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> this one says, how do you handle loading all your gear and hauling it through the marsh? This guy's got a kayak and he's like, do you use carts? Do you use um, kayak carts? Do you use deer carts? He's watching my videos, I think he said, and he sees us going long distances with a lot of gear, and he's just kind of wanting a how-to deal with moving gear um, effectively without killing yourself. Yeah, so I would say, you know, sometimes you're just going to have to leave some stuff. I mean, if you really have to go that far, um, you know, it might be out of the question to make two trips, but, you know, if you have to to get all that stuff out and you can't take it, you can take two trips. There is definitely some shortcuts Um you know, definitely get a good system for hauling it. Um, but yeah, I would, I would, if it's me, I've been thinning down a little bit on longer hikes and then trying to like overdo it. It's not one of my uh, hunts that I'm going to be like, Oh, let's get five dozen decoys out here. So, um, that, that's my one tip on that. Just make sure you, you thin it down. I know Elliot's got more of a system for his kayaks and all that. So I'll let you take that on, on that Elliot. Yeah. Um, some of the question was specifically geared towards hauling kayaks. And I actually, I'm not a big fan of sharing this information, um, uh, because it's taken us <laughs> a few years to actually refine this system. And, um, when we first started doing it, I didn't see anyone else that was actually finding a way to haul kayaks 
and layout boats. And as they become more popular, I know it's just going to be a part of the game. People are going to start doing this a lot more. But um, if you use the traditional kayak carts, I know you can get them from Cabela's and, and Bass Pro. Those will warp. If you put any kind of weight on them at all, you're going to warp the wheels. We went through probably six or seven of these. If you look at them, they're about $100, these steel-framed carts. Um, from Cabela's, the the wheels just warp on those like crazy. Um, even even with the H12s, so we had to actually go to deer carts. If you just get yourself a regular deer cart and a couple of straps, that is by far the best way to do it. Um, and like Jordan said, lighten the load. If if you're if you can't use a cart, um, then we go sleds. We go big sleds and we pull them behind us, and those are not bad at all. Those are much better than a backpack. And so, and so we do sleds. So, um, I'd say those would be the two best tips. We sometimes not, not, a lot of people don't have this option. So we will put our H12s on top of our 18 foot well-built surface drive, shoot up a river and then offload and drag them that way. That's another way to do it as well. But I mean, if we have ducks and we know where they are, then we're going to get gear in there and we're, I can't, I can't think of a time we didn't get at least three dozen decoys in. So, uh, but those would be my main, main points on that. All right, let's hit it again. Spin, 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 spin. Oh, it takes a while for this thing to spin. Wish we could show it. <laughs> Jordan's diver hunt information on your diver hunt trip plans, Jordan. All right, yeah, I'll jump into that one. So, um, actually got invited up to Michigan on um, one of the bays on the Great Lakes. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be secretive or not. I don't think so. So, Saginaw Bay up in Michigan. Um, got invited up there to go on a diver hunt and hopefully we get on some old squall. So it's actually, um, uh, they do walleye fishing in the summer and doing some guiding, um, in the, the winter for divers on the bay. Actually be really cool. It's not something that I can do on my own at all. Um, because you got to have multiple boats and, <laughs> you know, know how to get out and on the, um, the bay and all that kind of stuff. So it's nothing I could do by myself ever. I'm super pumped about it. Um, I actually have gone out and met up with Ryan and he, uh, does some work for, um, this guide service. I'm not sure exactly the extent of it, but Ryan's an awesome dude. Um, definitely, uh, nice meeting up with him in Michigan. So I'm looking forward to it. Actually, it's going to be the week after the flyaways collective hunt. So, um, the weekend after that. Um, but yeah, it's going to be pretty cool. Bringing some buddies along, going out there, sitting in a, I think it's like a 28 foot pontoon boat with a bunch of spruce branches, branches and getting some divers. Do you know what kind of, what species you're going to be targeting? I mean, the main one's old squall, but they get redhead. And, wow. Um, you know, those are the two I'm most excited for. Uh, I don't think they shoot canvas back too often. Um, but that would be awesome too. But if I, if we get old skull and redhead, I'll be, I'll be happy. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I can't wait to see that video. I know Titus Mid Valley mercenaries, they did a great Lake diver hunt last year and layout boats. And man, I really enjoyed those videos. It just looks so much fun. I wish I could get on something like that sometime. All right, here we go. Next one. Only like 3000 questions left to go. <laughs> Hang on there. You know, uh, you could, uh, as soon as we ask the question, you could spin it and we'll have it ready for the next one. Okay, good good idea. Good idea. Safety with other shooters. I'll take this one first. So um, safety with other shooters, uh, or especially when you have a larger group. So what what we do when we feel nervous is all, at all is we talk about our shooting lanes um, at the beginning of the hunt. So 
I'll, I will say, okay, here's my lane. I cannot go farther to my right than this, and I cannot go farther to my left than that. And I'll actually shoulder my gun, and I will visually imprint that in my mind. Do not go past those spots. Have everybody do that. And then as the hunt progresses, you want to, and some people I think are, are embarrassed to do this, like they're scolding people, but you're just not. Say, everyone got your safety on? Um, you know, I, I, I think that's a really good practice to do, especially if you have kids out. But anytime, anytime you can remember, you're like, everyone got your safety on? Because all of us from time to time have gone to, oh, crap, my safety wasn't on. I mean, it's just, if you shoot as many rounds as, as we do, it's going to happen from time to time. So I would say those are my two most. Oh, and anytime you're moving um, point A to B, make sure at, least, at the very minimum you don't have a shell in the chamber. You got anything else on that, Jordan? Yeah, I would say one thing to add on that is dog safety. Um, and this is kind of an interesting topic, and I'd be interested to know where you stand on it. But um, I know some people don't shoot at all when their dogs go into the decoys. Um, if you have a dog out there, I know if I'm on a solo hunt by myself or if I'm with somebody I trust and I send my dog out to retrieve birds, if we have birds work to the other side, I trust them to not, you know, shoot anywhere near my dog, and I'm good with that. But, um, you know, if I'm in a bigger group setting or if I don't, you know, haven't hunted with them and don't know, then I, I'm kind of leaning more towards not shooting. But um, that's something you said kind of like, hey, uh, with the reminder of the safety, I'm like, anytime my dog goes out there, I'm like, hey, um, watch out for chief. And so what what are your kind of thoughts on that? You know, I don't ever remember that being an issue. We're so fanatical about shooting birds feet down that you typically would be talking past shoot, past shooting in that situation. And honestly, we just don't take those shots hardly ever. So um, it, I don't recall that ever being an issue or ever being a thought. So, so I, you don't shoot at all when your dog's out is what you're saying? We, we don't, but it's not because of the dog. I mean, we've never said don't shoot because of the dog when the dog's out there and, and birds pass by it's gonna they're not gonna be all right let me say this if the dog was out there and a group of mallards were backpedaling over the decoys i would shoot but with the dog out there that doesn't happen now if we had a group of four or five people um you know that would be a different issue but we don't normally run groups that big but if it was just my dad and i and like golden boy i would have no problem with us shooting because i trust all those guys and if you know and but with the dog in the decoys you're almost never going to have a group actually committing so what you're generally talking about is pass shots and um, we don't take those shots anyway so it's never really been an issue for us all right clear clear or not clear on that i don't know Um, how long can you let ducks lay before cleaning well if it's cold enough indefinitely yeah for sure we we've left them um a good portion of the day out of the sun, like in the back of a trucker. I mean, because if you think about it, if you do, I believe the temperature. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Elliot. Uh, I was just going to say, I mean, if, you know, if you're hunting all day and you shoot birds at first light and you end up, you end up with your hunt at three or four, then you go home and you clean them when you get home. I mean, how many hours are you talking there? So clean them the same day. If it's going to go past that day, like Jordan said, make sure the temperature is cold enough, or you can even put them in the freezer um if you want to do it that way or probably even the fridge but they become harder to clean if you do that yeah no once they get frozen they're they're so much harder to peel peel the skin off of them so i honestly i just clean them right away just because of that it has happened where where it hasn't and i've learned my lesson and so i'm like man it yeah it's 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 terrible to clean them once they're frozen 
Um, but yeah, there are people who hang them and all kinds of stuff like that. I don't do that personally. Um, but I do, I do believe the temperature you're looking at, um, is 48. You want it to be below 48 Mm -hmm. and then you're good leaving them, um, indefinitely. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that number. That's an interesting, interesting to know that. I know I read a book called Hunter's Road and if anyone looks up that book, it is a phenomenal book about a guy traveling across the country, just doing all sorts of different types of hunting, um, with his lab. And he traditionally would, I don't know if it's the freezer or the fridge to clean them. So I tried that one time. And just like you, it's like peeling the skin off on a frozen bird is not fun to do. So I would not advise (laughs) that. All right. Spin, baby, spin. Uh, This one just says having a good dog. I thought there's probably more to it than that. But a dog update, I guess. Yeah, no, I think they, they, they wanted to know the benefits of having a good dog. And we can hit our dog updates as well on this one. Okay. So, um... Go ahead. Hey, go ahead, Elliot. Okay. Um, so, you know, I've hunted more without a dog this year than, honestly, the rest of my duck hunting life with Izzy being too old and Candy um, cracking her foot on hunt one and Georgie being too young. And, man, I, it's, it is so much less enjoyable for me hunting without a dog than with the dog. Um, I don't, I do not like the thing of when I shoot a duck, I want it in my hands immediately. I do not like the thing <laughs> of shooting birds and leaving them on the water. Um, number one, because sometimes I mean, you have to make sure they're dead, but number two, they're just out there and I don't get to touch them and possess them. And then it's like, okay, let's go pick them up. Oh yeah. Where's this one? Where's that one? It's just really pain in the pain in the butt. So, um, and not to mention the fact, if you get a dog with a good nose, like I'm sure you can speak to this more Jordan, like chief. And you're going to lose so many less birds with that dog as a tool. So companionship, um, ease of the hunt, tool for um, getting dogs um, or for getting ducks and not losing them is huge. Um, go ahead and give your input, uh, Jordan, then we can get back to Georgie and Chief. <coughs> yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, definitely I agree with that. The nose thing is huge um, for Chief, and he excels with that for sure. Um, I mean, he's found so many birds this year and I can just think about like over the last, I mean, just every hunt, he just shows his worth. So it's awesome. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I definitely, it's, there's nothing like it. Having a dog for, for benefit of finding birds is the biggest thing as far as kind of like, um, a conservation standpoint. Um, and also like satisfaction of you actually found your bird you shot because when you don't, it sucks. Um, for me at least, I don't know if I'm assuming most duck hunters are the same way, but, um, but yeah, you also hit on a lot of good things like companionship. If you go on solo hunts, you're never really on a solo hunt when you bring your dog. So I'm way more likely to go on solo hunts. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess I'll jump right into the, the dog updates on that. So, um, I just don't have time to do any more training. So where we ended with the training, um, at the beginning of duck season is where we just, we have to stop till off season. Um, but chief is doing so good. I mean, it's night and day difference from last year. Um, he listens super well. Uh, he's really accustomed to getting in place and he's finding birds left and right. Um, and retrieving awesome. So, uh, I don't know if you saw the the hunt from this week, Elliot, our opener in Indiana. Mm -hmm, I did. Um, the large majority, we shot 20 birds and the large majority of the retrieves, I didn't have to get, even get out of the blind. Um, I had to two or three times, but that's not bad on, you know, 20 birds. So he was able to get out there, get the birds and come back, give them to us and get back in place. And that's kind of like my long-term goal is to never have to leave the blind 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That was always my goal with Izzy. It's like, all right, get everything a dog should get. Don't make me have to get up and wait until I tell you to go. It's like, that's yeah. all. That was my main goals. And she pretty much achieved those every now and then as it got colder, she would drop birds at the bank and not, and I'd have to like move like two yards, uh, two yards to pick it up, which was really annoying. But yeah, so I want to add something real quick yeah. to that before you, before you jump into that. But um, kind of along the same lines as what we're talking about, um, the kind of the reason that's my goal. And I'm, I'm sure most hunters are the same way with their dogs, but I got screwed so many times last year trying to get out there and then I'd have to work chief and get him and try to get him on a line and um, simplify it. And finally he'd get on the bird. Right. And so like um, if I can mitigate that and be in the blind and we were able to do that a, a, a few times where if I would have been out of the blind, we just would have lost a whole flock of birds. So uh, it's a, a huge thing to be able to be where we're at and we still got work, but um, I'm super happy with where we're at right now. I think it's showing on the videos for sure. I um, I really only got to hunt with him that one hunt this year, and he definitely looked stronger that. But the, I think it's really showing up in the videos compared to last year as well. Um, so Georgie is my black lab from Flatlander Kennels up in Nebraska. Um, if you're looking for a trainer or a dog, that's a fantastic place to look. Um, Georgie's five and a half months old right now. And, and she's a black Izzy was a yellow. And I got to say, I have never seen, and I'm sure other people's dogs coats are beautiful, but as far as one of my dogs go, I've never seen a dog with this shiny and beautiful of a coat. I'm giving her like uh, the pro plan food and I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. She doesn't shed at all. And, and it's so awesome having her compared to Izzy because it's like, you look at her, she looks like an athlete. She's like sleek and just spry and just looks like a little stud athlete and I've, ne- I've never had a dog this caliber before and so just this week i started i started working on steady with her for the first time and i, I reached out to chris he never got back to me it's like because they're because it's like well don't steady your dog till a certain point i think i'm okay to do it um and i can't believe how well she's doing i had been she's doing stuff now that i had to force fetch izzy to do um, I can put a, I can put a bumper down, tell her fetch it. She'll just immediately go and get it. Um, and I was I was I was teaching her to just a little bit of to sit until I told her to get it. And so she was already a little bit accustomed to sitting um, until I tell her told her to go. So this week I'm putting a collar on her, um, having the bumper thrown, making her sit, um, and then releasing the collar and making her sit and telling her to go. And she's just doing an incredible incredible job of that. I've only done it two different times. And the last throw of the second training, I took the leash off her and she kind of started to go. I said, sat and she sat back down. So, um, man, she's doing an amazing job. I'm working on her with getting in and out of the, um, kayaks. So now I say kennel and she'll jump in and she'll pop out and I'm working, I'm starting to work with her on sitting to a whistle and healing, which that's not, that's not going as well as the other stuff, but, um, she's going to be up and ready for next year for sure. It's going awesome. Well. Definitely can't wait. Yeah, me too. I need to do another Georgie video when I get a chance just to do an update. She's a lot bigger now. A lot bigger. <laughs> All right. Oh, I forgot to spin the wheel ahead of time. So we're going to have to wait this few seconds. The suspense is killing me. <laughs> <laughs> How much time a week on editing social media and what do your coworkers think about your YouTube and the podcast? Um, is this one me or you? Um, well, go ahead. Go first. All righty. Well, um, man, 
I don't even, it's almost, I feel like it's, I don't know, man. I, definitely, I would have to say I'm probably close to, jeez, I don't know. I don't want to be wrong on my estimate, but probably somewhere between 25 and 30 hours a week would be a good estimate just on pure podcast, podcast editing, video um, editing, and that doesn't even include like going out for the hunts, which I'm not going to include that in that number anyway, but the amount of time it takes to kind of produce all the content. Yeah, and you're and are you counting because you do videos for HCR too? Are you counting that in there as well? Uh, no, because that's on my okay. work schedule, yeah. I guess. Yeah. But that's a lot, man. But that's the time I spend on it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not spending quite that much time. Um, although I will say I feel like um, that I'm editing a lot, but I'm not. I'm not spending that much time. It depends on me um, with the editing per video. I know my the video I did with Joel Strickland from Surviving Duck Season. Um, that, that one took a long time for me to make for some reason, cause I had a lot of stuff to go through. That was probably, uh, that was over 10 hours easy, uh, maybe 12, 13 hours on that one. And then, the, and then the next video, that one was quick. That was only like three or four hours. So a lot of it just depends on how much footage there is, um, for the hunt yep. to, to go through. And then mo- every time you add a camera, you're adding a lot of work. Cause then you got to sync them up, cut them out, put them together. And so that that's one reason why I kind of shy away a little bit from adding adding more and more cameras. Number one reason is money because I want some more. But certainly every time you add a camera, <laughs> it adds more time. <laughs> yeah, and people no, don't realize agree. people don't realize how much time it takes to do all this. Some people do. Some some people don't. Uh, man, it takes a lot of time and effort. It's a hobby that quickly becomes a second job as far as time. And, and luckily, we still full, yeah. still enjoy it, right? But there, there are times, yep. I, I think I can speak for you too, there's times in which you're like, oh my gosh, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's just, yeah. It's a grind to stay up because uh, we have to kind of stay current almost with the editing because you're going you're gonna to get backlogged if you don't because, uh, I mean, you go out the weekend. And so especially with these trips, I'm doing three videos a week. And if you say it averages six to seven hours per video, I mean, right there you're at 20. You're not including um, any time I do for the podcast. So, um, yeah, it can be a, l- a little timely, but it's definitely something we – enjoy and i would say it's a a labor of passion and love for you know um waterfowl and and all that that goes along with that i will say the newness does wear off because i know like season one season two season three it's all fresh people are watching your videos you're getting these comments and you're starting to get a little bit of money from youtube and and it's like a new toy you know but it's like this is season five for me and I, i i'm not saying i don't still enjoy it it's it's not it's a little bit more of a grind now than it was first. Well, at first, you know, do you, have you, do you, have you experienced that same thing at all? I think there's just times where, where you feel like that, but right now I'm, um, I'm in a pretty good space. I'm loving it. So, yeah. Uh, my first few years I watched my videos just, remember we used to joke about how much I watched my videos just over and over again. <laughs> I don't do that anymore for some reason. I don't know why. I, I wish I still enjoyed watching them as much as I did at the beginning. <laughs> now it's it's probably at a more normal pace. <laughs> now, <laughs> now you're just normal. Now you I'm just like normal. Some like... Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> but you know, re, getting to watch your own video and and re-experience that hunt that you let that felt so good um, is an amazing thing. Because I know all of you listening, when you have a great hunt. 
I'm sure you lay in bed at night and you're replaying the thoughts in your head. And I know before before I started making videos, I would try to go through each of my kills and see if I could remember each and every one and think about them and think about things that happened. Well, just being able to hit play mm-hmm. and watch it, man, that is a cool experience. Yeah, yeah, it is for sure. And one thing I'll say even that's kind of even further um, or more long-sighted than that, I would say, um, is like, man, like I had a really, really close relationship with my grandpa and he was a really big time hunter as far as like upland and man. Um, and maybe I won't have a grandkid that I have that much of a relationship with, but man, I'd do anything to go back and be able to watch like his hunts and see that, you know, I see all the photos and you're like wonder about it and kind of daydream about it. Mm-hmm. A lot of times growing up, um, and he'd have these pictures on the wall of him with his dog and, you know, pheasant and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's just like, you know, it's, it just kind of, it's kind of cool to think about. Um, I mean, these videos are going to last forever. Yeah. And the videos with you and your father, I've got so many videos with my father who's 75 now. Yeah. I mean, just think in 30 years when I'm like 70, you know, you know I'm going to be going back and watching those videos of my dad and, and with my kids being little. And there's so much more benefit to this than just, like, building a following. And and I, I can certainly say that neither of us started just like, oh, I want to see if I can build a following. It's it's like, no, that's nice, and we're trying to do that, but that's not the ultimate benefit of this at all. It's the memories yep. and, re- and re-experiencing them over time. Awesome. All right, let's go ahead and jump to the next one. All right, most memorable hunt. I got mine. I, do you have yours? I've got mine in my mind. Yeah, I got one. Now, this isn't my most memorable hunt because I went in detail about um, probably the when I'd say my most memorable hunt, it was a solo hunt. But this one was really, really special and memorable. So um, my dad and I were hunting the same place, Jordan, that you and I hunted uh, for the teal season. And... Um, you want me to say that name? Nope, I do not. <laughs> and it was pretty much iced over. And clear out in the distance, uh, this was kind of a cattail marshy place. It was on the plains, cattails. We could see mallards going down. and um, But everything was iced over. So we knew we had to. there must be a hole out there. And so we struggled to get out to this hole. And I mean struggled. This was like thick mud, breaking through ice and... And I mean, it was crazy hard to get out there, but we were rewarded. So once we got out there into this cattail hole, it was just filthy with mallards that had kept this thing open. And we were the only one or only ones around for miles. And I don't know if you've had just a phenomenal ice hole, ice hole mallard hunt, but they are special. I mean, when you get an ice hole like that, the mallards are no longer wary. It's like concealment doesn't even matter. It's like they're, they're so used to using it. They just dive bomb in on you. And my dad and I sat in this little patch of cattails and I don't remember the specifics of the shooting or any, any shots, but we just had them just cupping down into this ice hole and both shot our limit. And my dad was so excited at the end of the hunt. I guess this must've been the cell phone era um, because he had his phone out and he was talking to my uncle and dropped his phone in the water and ruined it. And, and then I, I remember on the way back, we found some ice that was a little more walkable and we were tired. So um, we actually, this was with my first dog and, and his first dog, our second dog. And so we, we had like our decoy bags tied to their collars because <laughs> they were on ice. So they were like pulling our decoys back in bags on this, on the ice. And there were just so many things memorable about it. It was a, just a great day. Awesome. You ever get a hunt like that again, you just let me know. I'll, I'll buzz down there in a hurry. 
Yeah, well, I will. All right. Um, man, it's really hard to pick just one out. Um, you know, it's, it really is. But kind of, you know, what really kind of, I guess, got me hooked on waterfowl. And I shouldn't even say that because I'd already been hunting like 13, 14 times before this hunt and, and killed like two birds. So I was already hooked for better or worse but <laughs> um i'd seen all these birds dumping into what i call now the honey hole um and i got my buddy i called him up and said hey man there's so many birds and he, he really didn't believe me because you know here's the guy who's hunted 14 times and shot two birds telling them that there's just an unbelievable amount of mallards dumping into this hole so anyways um we jump out there the next morning we're sitting um ready for the birds and there's there's a blind out there an old blind so we're sitting in the blind and i mean on the water there was hundreds of birds before shooting light and they just kept dumping in there pouring in there and i mean even to this day it rivals most of what i've seen as far as numbers of birds dumping into one spot um and it's just crazy so that was my first experience kind of seeing what really kind of like something crazy that can happen in waterfowl with all the birds dumping it in. Um, and we shot our limits out there and I mean, just really, we had a really good time, uh, shooting those birds, <laughs> but I mean, it was just the first time I'd like held like, you know, all those miles. I don't know. It's just so hard to explain, you know, it's just, maybe you don't even realize like before that kind of like, I don't know, it was just pure adrenaline and. Do you have that I'm hunt on video? Do you, have, do you have that? Yeah, it's actually one of the first hunts I got on video. So you should post that one in the uh, fellowship. I'd like to see that one again. I'm sure I've seen it, but man, yeah, it's it's uh it's a little rough to watch now compared to yeah. as far as all that stuff. But yeah, no, it was definitely a lot of fun um, for sure. All right, next one is obtaining permission. Tips on that. Um, well, just keep knocking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're gonna, it's gonna be very low percentage, even no matter where you live. Um, well, I shouldn't say that most of America, it's going to be pretty low percentage for getting permission. So just keep getting on the grind and do it before season. If you wait till season, you won't have enough time to get on the birds, um, with your scout, with all the scouting and asking for permission. Um, I mean, some of it, if you see something, you're going to ask for permission. But mark those those down, places you see them, come back from year to year, and knock on as many doors as you can. If you get two to three yeses for every hundred doors you knock on, you're doing better than most people. Yep, I'd say if you have kids, uh, bring your kids with you. Kids always lighten up landowners. Um, I even, I even um, here was my plan, and I never actually did it, but my plan was that I had this place I wanted to hunt, um, the word was that this lady didn't really let people hunt. So my, it was a pond. I was going to go back with my little daughter with a fishing pole during the spring and just try to get permission to fish. Then after I did that, <laughs> if we caught fish, I was going to gift her a little something. I know golden boy will take people pizzas. Some he'll just drop by with a pizza, um, and then try to extend that in to hunting permission. Um, I kept meaning to do it. I, maybe I still should. I, I've, I've never done it. Um, but you know, go in with a smile. Don't overwhelm it at the door with lots of people. If we have three guys in the truck, we'll have the nicest, kindest, most like my dad's one we sent up there or, or Golden Boy's fantastic. I remember one time my dad and Golden Boy and I went up to a, a permission to a landowner's place and I just stayed in the car because I'm like, my dad and Aiden are like the nicest, <laughs> friendliest people in the world. Like just, you don't want to overwhelm them with three people. 
Um, but just, you know, smile, make eye contact, um, assure them, you know, that, that you're going to be respectful. And, you know, if they say no, you might say, well, you know, I appreciate your time. Would you maybe I'll, would you mind me checking back in, in another year and talking to you again? You know, things like that. But um, it, it can get. Done. Yeah. And don't don't go in camo. Don't go with face paint on. <clears throat> yeah. Um, you know, wear something nice. Uh, don't go up there with your full hunting rig, your boat and everything. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you want to go in with a soft entry. I'm not totally opposed to camo, but you just want to make sure that you, that you look presentable, that you don't look like certainly not with face paint. I agree with Jordan about, you don't want to roll in there with your boat behind you. You know, you just want to give a soft, I'm a normal guy kind of imprint <laughs> on them. And right. on at the door versus phone call, phone calls are way lower percentage um, yes, than in person. All right, Jordan, this one's for you. How to keep Indiana hunters out of Michigan. Kill Jordan. <laughs> um, well, after the um, the run I had on the openers, there's no chance you're going to keep <laughs> this guy out. <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean, they do their best because, like, Michigan <clears throat> out-of-state licenses are, like, the highest I've ever seen. So it was like $180 for my out-of-state waterfowl license for the year. I think it was something like that. So they're already doing their best. But, I mean, they got so much public land to get on and um, so much opportunity. I feel like it's literally like five times as much as Indiana. So there's no no keeping me out, that's for sure. I'd say the only chance is to lobby your politicians to make uh, – <laughs> like in South Dakota, not everyone can waterfowl out there. There's a selected number. And so just lobby – Lobby to keep Jordan out. They have, they have like the same size state almost, it seems like, as Indiana. But they kill like four times the birds and have three times as many hunters. It's crazy. You know, I saw a list. My mom actually sent it to me um, that was like the worst five states for waterfowl hunting. And Indiana was in the top five, which that can't be true. But No, it is. Well, I mean, I it. maybe that's the worst five of places that actually shoot ducks. But it's like there's no way if you take all 50 states that Indiana is in the top five. There's no way. There's got to be more than five states that are worse than Indiana because you do okay. I mean, I got good connections and I work hard. Yeah. Combination of two is it, it just pans out. But I know there's a lot of people who struggle in the state for sure. Man, that sucks. I was just it's like, oh, poor Jordan. I I love I love this state, man. I love You're like in the top state. five. I don't know. I don't know if I'm it's old. in the top five. Perception wise, yes. I don't know if it's reality, but I can. T- I think numbers wise too. Uh, At least it was one of the years I checked. Huh, really, that's interesting. Yep. Well, I know that when people come here, it's funny because people in the state of Kansas gripe and complain and piss and moan about um, the public hunting, and they always throw the stat out there. It's like. Out of all 50 states, Kansas is like number 48th in, in amount of public land um, that you can hunt. And my suspicion is is that the reason that stat is what it is is because you are not allowed on rivers. There's only three rivers you're publicly allowed to be on in the whole state. My guess is most other states you can get on public water in some form. So they're, they're counting that. So the grand majority of that public land they're counting is probably not even good for duck hunting anyway. That that's kind of my, I don't know if that's true or not. That's my guess. But people gripe and moan, and anyone I have come here, it's like, gosh, you guys have it so good in Kansas compared to other states as far as the number of people and the pressure. And 
But man, you gotta hear people want. I'm pretty much done with the forums, like the refuge forums, and and it's just garbage listening to those old bitter men just whine and moan <laughs> like little girls about the same topic every year. I can get on there and listen to the same guys saying the same crap in the same condescending way they were five years ago. It's just I'm sorry, I got off topic. Wow, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Moving on. Let's roll it. Google Maps before scouting a new area. Yeah, I most always. I don't think I ever go to an area unless I happen to pass it on the road without looking at Google Maps first. So, I mean, obviously look for access, um, look for places that will be wet, and look for kind of the easiest path to access where you want to get to. I would say that most people look at Google Maps. I would say that most people do not scour Google Maps. You need to be obsessive about it. You need to do it for fun. You need to look at the same place over and over and over and over because Google (laughs) Maps can be tricky and you can miss decent looking places unless you really, really look hard. And most of the Google images, a lot of them will show you're just looking at dry land that is that is not flooded at that time. So you've got to really be able to look and see, what's that? Will that flood? And uh, I've been in the process of doing that right now because I've got two places within 15 minutes of my house that are new to me. And I cannot tell you the amount of time I've spent obsessively looking at these maps and thinking about different spots. And, And here's a trick not many people know. You can, most people will use um, earth.google.com or it's google.earth.com anyway, and they will get on that online version. Well, that will not give you the historical images. If you download Google Earth Pro, it'll give you the historical images clear back to 1991. And what that allows you to do is you can see what an area looks like under high water, under low water. So it gives you a much better feel for which areas flood. Um, Because sometimes we'll go, like right now, my favorite hunting spot on this planet, I haven't hunted for seven, eight years strictly because of water. And so that Google, that historical Google image data will allow you to better understand the way a water works on on an area um, than just your regular old uh, online version. So, but spend a lot of obsessive time looking at those images. You, the goal is to know the, the goal is to feel like you know your hunting area better than anyone else in on the planet. That's the goal. Awesome. Well, we are running short on time, Elliot. So we're gonna have to turn. How, how many do we have? We have quite a few mm, left. Yeah, there. man, we got quite a few. One, two, three. Yeah, like twenty. <laughs> okay. I would like to. Right, I, I'd like to this. do this to next week too. This is fun, I think. Well, I think we got a guest scheduled for next week. I got, I got an idea. Let's, let's turn this into a lightning round. Okay. All right. Yep. We're going to take turns. We're going to knock them out 30 seconds a piece. Whoever gets it answers the question. Okay. So, all righty. Um, you want, and you can, you can pass, you can say pass. We'll pass it to each other. So, okay. let's just go for it. All right. You want me to put on a 30, you want me put on a 30 second timer? I got, the, I'll have the timer. Okay. This one is yours, roost, yes or no? Um, in the right circumstances, you can hunt the roost. Last day of the season, it's not going to hurt anybody. Um, if you're hunting roost on ice spots on the rivers, that's not going to hurt anybody. There's a lot of roost out there with a lot of geese. Um, so I do hunt roost. If you are hunting a roost that is affecting places where you're going to have birds, um, 
that are working to other places you're going to hunt, you're going to screw yourself over and you can't hunt those same birds um, in different locations. So just be careful about it, but there's definitely situations where it's okay to hunt the roost. You've got to take this one. Why the Huskers will beat Indiana. <laughs> well, they won't, Matt. Um, <laughs> I think they will. <laughs> if Indiana wins this game, they'll get, they'll beat a, they'll beat a five and three. They'll be 500 and they'll be bull eligible. So I thank the Huskers for their contribution to Indiana's bull eligibility early this season. All right, 20-gauge versus 12-gauge and bucket list kills. I've always shot a 12-gauge, and that's what I prefer. But if you want to shoot a 20-gauge, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. 12-gauge is probably an overall better waterfowling gun. If you do shoot a 20-gauge, just be cognizant of your range. You don't want to leave cripples laying all over the place. Uh, Bucket list kills. I am always, every year, looking to kill a canvasback. I've killed, I think, three in my life. Um, shot a double on them last time, but I, we just don't hardly see them. So that's always a bucket list kill for me. Um, and also like, you know, some of those, some of those sea ducks, ah, crap. I didn't re-spin it. Sorry. Taking our time off. Of <laughs> well, while that's going to go on, I love my 20 gauge. So 20 gauge a five with the boss shot. So I was wrecking them this year. Yeah. Certainly nothing wrong with it. Uh, Jordan, do you really need a dozen decoys or can you use less? Um, you can definitely use less. Um, one thing we're going to be trying this year is with the motion duck decoy spreader system, um, our ultimate spreaders that we have seven ducks on there and a no wind day, um, getting that motion, you'll be fine. So, um, you don't need them all. Um, I do like to make sure I have motion, even though in a small set, whether it's a mojo or the, the motion duck decoy spreader, I'm not going to go out there without one of those things, um, in my small set. Next question, how often do you hunt new spots? Um, This year I'm hunting, I've got two new spots that I'm hunting, but traditionally um, we're hunting the same places. But within those places, I know on my freelance hunt stats list of places, I've got like 45 and that that might not be 45 different complexes, but 45 different pools. So man, we move around a lot. But as far as finding brand new places, we've been doing this long enough. Finding brand new places is really unusual, although... I did it this year, and we've got two new places that I'm really, really excited about. Jordan, gear that takes a beating during the season, which of your gear do you beat up the harshest? (laughs) Well, one thing that you have to be careful about during the season and keep from giving that beating is your gun. Um, You know, make sure you're cleaning it regularly. Um, Nothing more frustrating than having a shell not cycle and uh, missing um, your next shot or your follow-up shot or something like that. So um, it's definitely something that is always on my mind to keep from getting that beating. Um, You know, another thing that that always seems to do take the beating, though, is the waders. Um, It's hard to go through a year without ripping one, uh, having a team, uh, a seam rip or something like that. Uh, So I'm always I'm trying to be more and more careful with waders as well. Elliot, why won't you make a Hunt Stats app? And a little uh, background on that, I have created a website called FreelanceHuntStats.com where you can log all of your hunting information and sort it around and everything. And people constantly ask me um, about making an app. And the only reason I have not made an app is apps are ridiculously expensive. If you can make me an app and you're listening to this and and it's not ridiculously expensive, go ahead and email me at FreelanceDuckHunting at gmail.com. I would love to make an app, but they are pricey. And I think I'm talking probably between... 10 and 20, $30,000 range to produce what I want to produce. And 
that's a lot of money. So, but I will say that Freelance Hunt Stats works beautifully on your phone. And if you just put, a, you know, you can actually put a little, um, make it look like an app on your phone or what it's called. And it, it, I, I log my stats out in the field and it works really, really well. So go ahead and sign up an account, honestly. All right, next one. Gosh darn, I keep forgetting. To, I'm screwing up our lightning <laughs> round. This one's like a, a rolling thunder type lightning. <laughs> what are the worst days to hunt, Jordan? The days where you don't have any birds. So, um, you know, I've, I've seen where no wind sunny days seem to be the worst in my area. I know they say in Arkansas and flooded timber they want those sunny days, but that's just not the case here. Um, if you go out there, it seems that it's less birdie of a day. There's not going to be birds flying. Um, if birds aren't flying at all, they're not going to be flying towards your decoys. You might have a first light shoot, and that's it. Um, so I would say sunny with no wind is awful now i'm probably still gonna hunt it if it's the only day i can hunt but um i'll take the rainy the snowy the harsh conditions and a strap full of birds any day of the week over sunny and no wind i'm gonna add real quickly to that super short um according to freelance um, huntstats.com no wind is absolutely the worst time to hunt Sunny, cloudy doesn't make as much difference. It's all about the no wind. You get down below below five miles an hour on the wind and your hunts just the number of birds you harvest to go down. Bucket list hunts. Um, my bucket list hunt is in the Sandhills of Nebraska. I actually have the hunt all lined up in my mind. I know where I'd camp. I know what places I would hunt. We've been going there for years and, and it's going to happen. So that's for me. You wanna say yours real quick, Jordan, while I'm spinning the wheel? Um, anywhere where I can shoot a pintail. Uh, maybe it'll be next week. <laughs> All right, this one, 28. Why is the 28 gauge making a comeback, Jordan? Um, honestly, I'm not sure that it is. I know that it's kind of a, um, kind of a cool, slick gun to shoot, but I definitely wouldn't say it's making a comeback. I know that Boss is making 28 gauge shells and they make wakes it seems like with everything they do. So um, that could be part of why we're seeing it more right now. But um, I don't know. I, I really don't think it's making a, a huge comeback. Maybe maybe it is a little bit, but if it is, I'm not aware of it. But um, I'll take my 20-gauge A5 over and again. So anyways, uh, next question. Scouting time versus hunting time. Um, you know, when do you – how much hunting do you give up to give into scouting time? It just depends on your schedule. If I was a full-time waterfowler, I would scout probably more than I hunt. I'm not. I've got a full-time job. I've got my weekends and Sundays I spend with my family, so that gives me Saturday. If I cannot give my dad to scout, which right now he's doing a lot of for us, then I don't give up any hunting time to scout. I am going to go and try to kill birds where I think they're going to be on Saturday. And so it just all depends on your schedule. If you have enough time, do give up hunts to scout. If If you can only get in weekends, then don't. All right, we're on two, three, four, five. We got about ten left. Let's crank them out. We got it. Loaf pond versus the roost. Which one you want to hunt? Um, uh, definitely the the loaf. Um, a lot of times roost is hard to get in there because if you go in there at first light, you're gonna bust them out, and if you try to go at last light, um, they're gonna end up coming. A lot of the times after shooting light, so roost ponds are really hard to hunt. Um, in my opinion. So I'll take the loaf pond 
any day of the week. Um, you can get in there, set up, and usually they'll be in there by nine o'clock at least, and you'll be good to go. Yeah, loaf loaf places are just where it's at because those places don't to to typically get hunted as much as the other places. Um, all right, Elliot, just for men, why won't you get rid of that disgusting gray beard and get just for men? Uh, I'll tell you why. I would actually think about it, but I mean, all my videos, I've got this gray. And then all of a sudden going to brown, it would be so obvious that I had used just for men or something. I think it would look ridiculous. But and I kind of like the gray. I, kinda, I did actually comb in brown one time. Like my wife's like, let's try this, which probably is not a good sign if your wife's asking you to do that. But it's not going to happen. <laughs> all right. We've got calls that you use, brand and model. And why? Um, I've been using Paul um, pattern calls. He sent me some, and actually, he sent a lot of the guys from the Flyway um, calls. And you know, I've been loving them. They're on my lanyard this year for sure. So it's cool to see somebody who's, um, you know, kind of active in our community as far as the the Facebook group and all that, and um, with the other Flyway guys. And it's it's call, calls sound great too. So um, you know, love supporting somebody who supports me and. Um, that's where I'm at on that one. His teal call is money. I cannot tell you how many compliments I've gotten on his teal call. It's totally different. It doesn't even have um, reeds on it. It's phenomenal. Uh, building a blind on public land after a hike. This one's super easy. So you can get camo nets that's, that are reinforced with tight little cord or rope that are very durable. And they go into little bags. We have two of those. And if we're going to go into public land a long ways, we're going to take those tarps. When they're really big tarps. When, once you get the tarps in there, um, you can use either um, bring in some poles or normally if you just bring a machete, you can cut yourself some branches, make yourself a blind. And number one mistake I think most people do with their blinds is they make them all front-centered. I think you need to work on the top first and worry, and worry about the front second and then the back third. But if you get those reinforced tarps with the netting behind them, uh, man, making those blinds out there becomes a lot easier, especially if you only have two, if you have four or five guys, it becomes a little bit harder. But uh, those, I definitely want to add on to that one a little bit. So, um, one thing we've done HDR taking the A frame. If you got a sled, you can haul that out pretty far. We've hauled it out, um, you know, almost up to a mile, mm -hmm. um, and it does get tough in certain situations. But you can haul that out there, and I'll take an A frame over a um, just man-made kind of stick blind any day of the week. I know it's not viable in every situation. Um, I will throw out a, co a couple other options depending on party group. Man, I do love the Tangle Free 360 blind for one. Um, a kind of single use for that. It's got the doggy door for me and Chief, so I can walk out there just with that slung over my shoulder um, or in the canoe or whatever it is. So that, that thing works out great um, for that, and I don't have to worry about hauling a dog blind as well. Um, and then thirdly, HDR quack pack layout blind. You can haul out a layout blind decoys, all that with the backpack style. All right. All right. We, we've got two left. I'm gonna let you pick which one you want. Uh, you want cooking duck or non hen duck calls, non mallard hen duck calls, which one you want? Um, you know, what's uh, favorite, favorite thing to cook for ducks. Um, have you ever, ever had chicken tetzerzini? <laughs> I think that's how you say mm, it. I don't, I don't know. Not sure. It's got like Velveeta cheese and Ritz crackers <laughs> no, and know. like cream of cream of chicken soup, I think. Uh, and then I just uh, take the, the duck, 
uh, boil it, slow cook it, then shred it up, and you add that all together, and it is just the bee's knees. It's phenomenal. Mm. Um, Sounds good. So I don't know what it is about that. It's, it's really, really good. My wife makes Southwest egg rolls with duck, which is phenomenal, and Philly cheesesteak sandwiches, and also just cooking them rare like a steak or medium rare on a grill after you've married them and marinated them. You can't go wrong with that either. Um, yeah, or poppers. Yep. Yeah, those ones you made were excellent. I haven't. I, I want the ones with the peppers in them next time, but those were great, the ones you made. Uh, all right, last one. How about non-hen duck calls? Um, I have them on my lanyard. I very, very rarely use them. I think if you've got... If you've got at least three guys going with duck calls in the blind, I would certainly put one of those three on those non-hen duck calls. Younger kids are great to get on those because they're pretty easy to use, whether it's just a little peep. Um, I know that mallard, little kids can't blow the mallard um, drake duck call. I'd say that's the one I use more than anything. on shy, if, I'll try that one out if the ducks are shy for a while. Um, I've never seen it like greatly work. But I stick to the hen mallard, and the older I get, the more I'm getting to less call is more, and just and not being real aggressive. Um, but they have their the non hen mallard calls have their place. I just wouldn't pull them out that often unless you have multiple callers in the blind. Awesome. All right, we knocked it out. Yep, so did it. Yeah, um, we really appreciate you guys putting all these questions in. Um, I do feel bad for, for some of the guys in the live video here. Uh, we got questions pouring in the whole time well, but we can we knock out a few again. more if you want well off air if we, if we want to i suppose we could yeah we definitely um but i will say and we mentioned this once before uh, if you jump over to the fellowship man um we're, we'll definitely do this again and we'll make sure to hit up all those questions a little bit easier to flow through all the questions when we have them beforehand um just the two-man show here it's hard to pull off questions uh while conversing and all that kind of stuff and running the podcast so, um, great podcast, Elliot. Yep, enjoyed it. Much enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, the time just flew by on that one, so we just crushed it, got all the questions asked. But um, real quick, before we sign off, you got what do you got planned for your duck season coming up? Well, this weekend is our opener on this side of the state, and quite honestly, I don't think we're going to shoot a lot of ducks, but I'm really, really excited about it. I've got an area that is new to me that I have been trying to scout, but it's massive. It's the massive around here. It's like 1600 acres. Um, and it's hard to hunt, hard to scout. So we're going to spend a good portion of the time scouting. Um, but I don't know, we've got a front coming in tonight, tomorrow. So maybe there'll be more ducks. than I think this side of the state just picks up ducks late, later than the central part of the state. So, and then after that, we've got the flyaways collective collab. That'll be real fun. That's kind of been the highlight of the season. So we've got that coming as well. Yeah, it's sneaking up on us super fast, and we got we still have some planning to do on that and preparation. Um, with all us creating that content, there's barely time to do that. So, um, but yeah, it's definitely gonna be awesome. I know this week we're the second week of Indiana. Um, I'm seeing a little bit less ducks already. You know, I feel like the pressure kind of kicks them out of there. Um, but yeah, still hopefully we got we got some good hunts coming up this week, and I'm on a roll here. So. Uh, hopefully I keep it going all the way up to the flyway hunts and we just crush it in Kansas. Um, but yeah, that's what we got going on. So uh, big shout out to you guys. Thanks again for all the questions and your guys' support for the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting, and we'll see you guys on the next one. Those of you that are here on just the YouTube side of it, I'm willing to stick around. I don't want to spend a ton more time on it, but I'd be happy to 
hammer some more questions out if you want to.